Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad that you're joining me once again. Today, we have a lot to cover on this podcast, so I'm going to jump right into it. But before I do, just want to remind you that if you've missed any previous podcast, you can get them on standstrongministries.org. Click the button podcast. They're all there with the study guides. Or you can find us, Stand Strong in the Word podcast with Jason Menez on iTunes. So again, they're free. And I always encourage you guys, as you're digging deeper in God's word, please share them with your friends and with your family members. That would be greatly appreciated. Again, as I mentioned, we got a lot to cover. So I just want to just dive into a few pointers before we jump into the commencement of Jesus's ministry. We'll look at the healing of the nobleman's son. And then we're going to briefly look at Jesus preaching in the synagogue and fulfilling Isaiah 61. Now, A lot is happening with Jesus' early ministry. Now, depending on what kind of timeline you're working off of, some people look at 27 AD to 30 AD, or some people look at 30 AD to 33 AD. So whatever it's 30 or 27 AD, the bottom line is this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. There's many interactions. And a lot of the teachings that we're going to be looking at on today's podcast covering a lot of material. Again, I can't get into all of it. I'm just going to do some highlights, but I just want to point this out to you. All of this centers on the millennial kingdom that is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus, again, this is his first advent, obviously, but a lot of this is going to be pointing to his second coming. So I just want you to keep that in mind. So let's dive right into it. This is the commencement of Jesus' ministry. This is found in Matthew 4, 17, Mark 1, 14 through 15, and Luke 4, 14 through 15. And John 4, 43 through 45. So in Matthew 4, 17, it just talks about Jesus coming and preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But when you look at Mark, it says now after John was arrested, so there's boom, there's a huge milestone. And we talked about in the previous podcast of Jesus, you know, Jesus' ministries expanding. John is now arrested and Jesus goes into Galilee and it says here, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying for the time is being fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Again, repent. And then you look at Luke's gospel and notice the key phrase it says here in verse 14 of Luke 4, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And notice it says, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues. And again, what was he teaching? You go back to Mark 1 and Matthew 4, that Jesus was telling him as he was preaching, hey, the time has been fulfilled. I am here. The Messiah has come. I am the Messiah. You are to, you, you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's teaching this in the synagogues. And being glorified by all, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 15. Then when you jump to John 4, 43 through 45, notice a little insight he gives us here. It says, after the two days, he departed for Galilee, leaving Samaria. So when Jesus goes to Samaria, remember, we talked about in the previous podcast, and he leads the Samaritan woman to the Lord in Zakar, and she goes and she tells her fellow citizens, and they come and they hear, and they tell Jesus to stay there for two days. 
And they say, we no longer believe because you believe. We have now witnessed with our own eyes, and they come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, all of that's happened. John is now arrested, and Jesus goes out, and and it says here in verse 44 of John 4, he's testified that that he's the prophet, and he says, the prophet has no honor. And then it says in verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So as I mentioned before, there's a lot that has taken place and there's a lot of witnesses, uh, eyewitnesses of what Jesus has been up to. Now, let me give you a quick explanation as to why Jesus goes to Galilee. Now, this is found in a great commentary called The Life of Jesus. And it writes here, it says, Why Galilee? This is answered, the book says, in Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, For there God revealed that Israel's opportunity to fulfill its national destiny in Exodus 9, 6. 19.6, would first be heralded in Galilee. In that, theretofore, religiously forsaken part of the promised land, the promised message of salvation for the Gentiles would be first heard. This proclamation was to be Israel's invitation to enter God's blessing and become heralds of his gospel to the world at large, to spearhead a glorious golden age in which all men, regardless of race, could have the curse of sin reversed and have the initial Adamic relationship with God restored. God has not specifically explained why he chose Galilee, but as we search scripture, we find that no prophet ever came from Zebulon in Naphtali. We can conclude, therefore, that God reserved this area of Israel for his son so that he alone met the specification of Isaiah 9.1. He alone could claim to fulfill this messianic prophecy. Again, this pinpoint goes back to what I pinpointed earlier. This is the commencement of Jesus's ministry, and it's here fulfilled according to Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. So, as we see Jesus's ministry expand, notice now in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 46 through 54, I'm going to read you this story about the nobleman who comes to Jesus for healing. It says here, now remember, if you go back to our previous podcast, we we just had wrapped up the Samaritan woman, that encountership. So, we ended in verse... Let me look here. We ended in verse 45. So now we pick things up in verse 46. So it says, so Jesus came again to Cana and Galilee where he had made the water wine and at Capernaum. And there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my son dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. So as he was going down, his servants met him, and they told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So a couple things here. If you look back in verse 46, again, it's mentioning Capernaum. This is the headquarters of Jesus. This is a bulk of where Jesus stayed. This is 25 miles from Cana, where he's now going back to Cana, says here in Galilee. And a nobleman, now a nobleman either meant a royal officer or a royal relative. So this nobleman could have been possibly an officer under Herod Antipas, who was, again, a member of the Jewish king. 
So he approaches Jesus and it says, notice this says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down. The word asked here is, again, he's pleading. The father traveled a long way to ask Jesus to heal his son. Now, wouldn't you, if your child was dying and you heard of someone like, a, like Jesus, this man who was casting demons out and healing people. And if your son was dying of this severe fever, we don't know what illness he had, but we know he had a severe fever and he was dying. And so this was again, roughly three months after the wedding feast in Cana where Jesus turned, you know, water into wine. So by this time, again, word was spreading. Jesus had the supernatural ability to perform miracles. And of course there were plenty of people who were looking for Jesus to perform uh, healings. And so this nobleman found uh, this information that Jesus was coming and he went a long distance to approach Jesus and asked him to heal his son. Now, before we get into verse 48 about Jesus talking about signs and wonders, you will not believe. Let me just make note of this. Now, it doesn't say this in context, but knowing the surroundings and knowing what this nobleman was coming out of, I want to say this, this nobleman who was desperate, whose son was dying, he found no healing we don't know what he was trying to pursue within his constructs of the religious system that he was in, but there was no healing and there was no love that was found within the religious system that he lived in, that he was involved in. And so he was looking for Jesus who is outside of this religious system. Now that's huge, my friend, because you and I are not going to find healing. We're not going to find any love in a manufactured system and a religious system that's telling you what you need to do according to their word, according to their tradition. But rather, this man went a long distance. He was willing to do anything and everything to encounter Jesus for Jesus to heal his son. Now, notice what Jesus says to this man, though. I mean, hey, it's bold. You're coming to me. There's no question that you are a loving father and that you have faith to come to me. But Jesus says that if you, unless you see the signs in these wonders, he says you will not believe. So Jesus is challenging this official not to just have faith in the healing no, no question any parent will do whatever for their child to be healed. But he says, but I want you to look past the healing of your son. And I want you to have faith in the one who has the power to heal. So there's a huge difference. If you go back to John chapter two, and it said in verse 23, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, it says that many people believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But notice it said in verse 24 of John two, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about him for he himself knew what was in man. So we know that we are fallen sinful people, that we do struggle with doubt, that we kind of believe somewhat and then we disbelieve or we're, or we're always looking for more evidence to believe or we're looking for Jesus to do healing because it would obviously benefit us or the person that we love. In this, in this case, the noble man was pursuing Jesus because he wanted something from Jesus. He wanted his son to be healed. And so what Jesus was getting at, just like in John 2, Jesus doesn't do these things for people to say, oh, Jesus did these miraculous things. He could do it for you. And he's kind of like this miracle worker and the people just come to him selfishly, basically. Jesus does not want this man to lose sight of why ultimately he came to Jesus. And we got to that when I read that, remember? Because, because through the healing, he believed and so did his household. So it wasn't just a physical healing. It, it, the physical healing led to spiritual healing. And we can't miss out on that. So when you look back in verse 49, when Jesus challenges this noble man, he said, sir, come before my son dies. See, the official 
was so desperate and broken that his pleading with Jesus to heal his son helped him see beyond just the physical. Now, the man didn't argue with Jesus theologically. He simply looked to him to heal his son. And Jesus looked back at the desperate father and showing pity, it says in verse 50, it says that he says, go, your son has been healed. Now, the interesting thing is, which I find just so amazing, and every time I read this passage, and I pray you as well, my friend, are challenged, I look at that saying, you know, there's faith again, what this man has done. But for Jesus to just speak the word, and he believes the word that Jesus spoke, it tells us in verse 50, and he goes on his way. I mean, not taking Jesus with you for him to physically stand over and to physically touch his son, that takes a lot of faith. So this action from the official demonstrated his faith in Jesus. He believed in Jesus' spoken word, and he left anticipating that his son would be healed. Now, here's a cool thing. Upon that happening, that moment when Jesus spoke the word and says, your son is healed, his servants see that the recovery starts happening. And so they want to go tell their master who was on this long journey to go find this miracle worker, Jesus. And so they go and they encounter their, their, their master on the road and they tell him the good news. Your son has been healed. Now, curious to know uh, when this happened, the official asked him, you know, and they said this happened yesterday on the seventh hour. Now that's 7 p.m. So this is after 6 p.m., which was sunset starting, you know, the new day. And they said it was at 7 p.m. And that which was the exact time when Jesus told the man, your son will live. So not only was the son healed through this, but the whole household was healed. That was the second miracle we we're told that Jesus did in Cana. That's pretty amazing. Now, what do you learn from that? Faith, my friend. That's what we learn. So as Jesus' ministry is expanding, he's impacting now from Nicodemus to the Samaritan woman to this nobleman, to a man of royalty who probably worked, as I mentioned, under the king. And he's in the religious system. But no one's healing his son. There's nothing that can help his son but Jesus. And he pursues Jesus. And as a result... Not only is his son physically healed, but they are healed spiritually. That's amazing. Now, the cool thing is, as we're going through the chronological teaching, now we jump to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, where now Jesus goes and he preaches in the synagogue. Now, let me read that real quickly. It says, now he went to Nazareth. So from this healing of the nobleman's son, he goes into Nazareth. So we jump from John 4 to Luke 4 now, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And and rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All who all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips, saying, Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you do in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel and in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath. 
in the region of Sidon, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he, Jesus, walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow, that's pretty extraordinary. Now, again, I got to be concluding this podcast, so I'm just going to highlight a few things. Now, notice it says that Jesus in verse 16 of Luke 4 goes into Nazareth where he was brought up and it was his custom. So Jesus was known as a teacher and he probably had presented in the synagogue many times before this encountership here in Luke chapter 4. Now I want to share with you real quickly that it was the custom to have about seven different men read from the Torah then from the prophets. So when Jesus came up, he it, it wasn't like he picked Isaiah to read. The scroll was handed to him. So when he opened the scroll, it was his passage to read Isaiah 61 which said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. So every time when you see in reference in scripture, when it's talking about him proclaiming the good news and teaching the good news, the gospel, that's what the scriptures prophesied that he would do. Now notice though, Jesus stopped in the middle of verse two, because remember this prophecy covers his first advent, whereas the end of verse two is prophetic of, of Jesus' second advent of judgment on the earth. So Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, quote, he says, Jesus was asked to read the scripture text and to give the sermon. The passage he read included Isaiah 61 two. It was a selected text. The Jewish rabbis interpreted this passage to refer to the Messiah and the people in the synagogue knew it. You could imagine how shocked they were when Jesus boldly said that it was written about him and that he had come to usher in the acceptable year of the Lord. Wiersbe continues to write, the reference here is the year of Jubilee. Described in Leviticus 25, every seventh year was a sabbatical year for the nation. When the land was allowed to rest and every 50th year, that means after every uh, seven sabbaticals, so about 49 years, was set apart as the year of Jubilee, which was the 50th year. The main purpose of this special year was the balancing of the economic system. Slaves were set free and returned to their families. Property that was sold reverted to the original owners and all debts were canceled. The land lay fallow as man and beast rested and, and rejoiced in the Lord. Jesus applied all of this to his own ministry, not in a political or economic sense, but in a physical and spiritual sense. He had certainly brought good news of salvation to bankrupt sinners and healing to the brokenhearted and rejected people. He had delivered many from blindness and from bondage to demons and disease. Indeed, it was a spiritual year of jubilee for the nation of Israel, end quote. So the bottom line was Jesus was saying to them, at that very moment, Isaiah 61 was fulfilled. He came to bring the year of Jubilee. There was going to be restoration. There was going to be peace. There was going to be joy in the launch and the commencement of Jesus's ministry. So as a result of that, as you can imagine, all eyes were fixed on Jesus under trying to fathom what is this man talking about? So when he sat down, literally in that custom was when you would read the passage from the scrolls and they would sit down as a rabbi and then they would teach the people. Well, Jesus sat down. It was finished. That was his sermon. He read the passage and he said, this has been fulfilled in you. Look at what I've been accomplishing and continue to look at what I'm going to be accomplishing still. So when they're, when Jesus said that, of course, they're looking at Jesus thinking he's a nut job thinking, isn't this just a carpenter's son? Isn't he just himself a carpenter? How on earth can he be bringing the year of Jubilee upon our nation? How can this man restore 
us? How can this man heal? How can this man cast out demons? How can this man forgive us of our sins? Now, remember, this was also prophetic of Deuteronomy 18.22, and that's the standard, my friend. Because you either speak the words of the Lord and it comes to pass, or you speak the words of the Lord supposedly and it doesn't come to pass, which says you're not a prophet. But clearly Moses was prophesying through the words of the Lord saying that I will send a prophet like you according to Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 18. And that's Jesus. So Jesus speaks afterwards, says, I am fulfilling this prophecy. It's been fulfilled to you this day. And what I say to you is true because I am that prophet. Now, when Jesus was referring to the widows and lepers, what they didn't like in the synagogue, not only what he was saying in fulfilling the passage, but Jesus was even saying that the year of Jubilee that I bring is not just for you Jews, but for all people, Jews and Gentiles. Well, what happened? They drive him out. They were so furious saying, how on earth can you not only say you're fulfilling this, that you're the Messiah, but that your blessing is is going to be upon the Gentiles as well. Now, remember, in context, Jesus had just come out of Zakar. He had just led many of the Samaritan people to him, and they accepted the living water. And yet here, the elite people cast Jesus out, and he goes, when he visits Capernaum, we're told in Matthew 4, 13 through 16, and Luke 4, 31, which is fulfilling of Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, Jesus is that light, and the people there, we're told, the Galileans, the rejects, the nobodies, basically, they received Jesus. And yet the elite Jews, when Jesus, when he was reading this uh, prophecy in Isaiah 61, they reject him. So the elite Jews in his own hometown reject him, but yet these outcasts in Galilee, they accept him. My friends, as I conclude, I just want to leave you with this. The nobleman had great faith, and I pray that you will have that faith, whatever you are uh, going through in your life right now, and if you're not committed to Christ, if you're if you're scared, if you're frightened, if you need to let something go, you need to have the faith like this noble man. You need to be desperate. You need to be broken. You need to pursue God. He is right there with you. And when you look at the synagogues and you see the difference between an elite group of synagogue people that are controlling everything to these brokenhearted individuals that were outcasts and Jesus comes in there and he preaches and they accept him. You got to look at the churches around us. Don't be a part of a prideful, boastful, elitist, religiously constructed church that has no grace, that there's no healing, but you're just oppressed. You need to get out of that and you need to be a part of church. As we see that Jesus was going into this synagogue in Luke 4.31 when he goes into Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he's teaching on the Sabbath, the people receive him. Whereas the other people didn't, you got to know the difference, my friend, of a good church and a bad church. But the bottom line is this, you will know that when you like the nobleman, you go to Jesus and you have a strong faith that you trust him for healing. My friend, he wants to heal you. He can heal you and he will heal you when you cry out to him for that healing. God bless you. Know that we love you. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.